0: I want to talk about grace a bit this morning. Um, I run into this, and, and I think we all should have this experience because we all should be witnessing to the love of Christ in our heart with those around us. But from time to time you will... Uh, come into contact with those who are dealing with doubts, those who are searching for something. The devil has taught lies for thousands of years, friends. And one of the greatest lies that the devil has taught has to do with the grace of God. If you turn to Acts chapter 16, you will find that there in the beginning of that chapter, that while Paul and Silas were answering what we call the Macedonian call in Philippi, they were beaten, and they were put in jail without a trial. This is really nothing new, is it? Yes. But I want you to notice what then happened. If you look at Acts 16 and verse 26... And, and, I, and I'm, I know that you many of you are aware of this. If not, uh, please you know, pay close attention. It says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Notice it wasn't just Paul and Silas. Everyone's bands were loosed by the power of God. There is an example and promise for us throughout the Bible that God will loosen the bands of wickedness from us. Is God much stronger than Satan? Amen. And everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. That was the the law. There was a death penalty. He recognized it. He would rather take his own life than go through the scourge of what lay ahead. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying to who? A believer? Was this man a believer? He was a non-believer. And what did Paul do? He cried with what kind of voice? A loud voice. What an example for us. Do thyself no harm, he says, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in. This is the jailer. He called for a light. He sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? You know, I've learned that that's probably—I can't think of any more important question that a human being can ask. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas say they give the jailer a very simple answer. You notice that? Look at verse thirty-one. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now I'm not preaching sloppy agape friends. I'm not preaching cheap grace. That night was a successful one night evangelistic series. Do you realize that? <laughs> sure. Do you realize that there were no sermons preached? That evangelistic service consisted only of songs. That's a powerful thing to understand. Singing praises to God while bound by the enemy. In prison. Paul and Silas in chains sang in prison praising the Lord. Then suddenly there was an earthquake. The jailer realized the prisoners had something that he did not have. And he wanted it. He wanted to be saved. They told him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, salvation is not complicated. It is not complicated. It is simple enough that a child can understand it and I thank God for that. (laughs) All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, believe is often translated as faith in the Bible. You can look that up many times. The Greek word translated believe means to believe something enough to make a commitment to it. It's not just a mental assent, a mental acknowledgement that it is true. It is a commitment. To believe in Jesus is to make a commitment to Him. The Roman Empire did understand the meaning of the word Lord. You realize that? <laughs> you know, because approximately two thirds of the population was in slavery. And only one third, well, that's the remainder, were free. Those who were unfortunate to be uh, slaves had a Lord over them. And that's what they called their master, Lord. And that master or Lord had absolute authority over their lives. In fact, if the slave did something that the Lord did not like, he had authority to kill him without a trial because he was a slave. When Paul said, believe in the Lord, the jailer knew exactly what the word Lord meant. In Western society today, where we live, there are many who say they believe in Jesus as their Lord. Isn't that true? But do they really know what the word believe means? Jesus had something to say to those who call Him Lord, but refused to commit to Him. Didn't He? In Luke 4, excuse me, Luke 6 and verse 46, Jesus asked the question. He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Isn't that a very simple statement? Many people call Jesus Lord who don't open a Bible they go to churches nowadays they sit in a pew and they watch a screen (laughs) where's that experience between them and Christ it's right there in the theater seat watching the screen watching the words haven't you had that experience have you ever showed anybody a scripture in the bible and they say, oh I didn't know that was there sad to say I run into a lot of Adventists that way used to be people of the book that's what they, I was told they were called when I first came to know the Lord I'd ask questions and they wouldn't know where anything in the Bible was and I, I often thought people of the book I wanted answers you're supposed to know the book <laughs> well who is the book isn't Jesus the word Doesn't that tell you something about their relationship? They don't know the Word. Salvation is very simple. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things which I say? Well, because I don't know the book. (laughs) Is Jesus really Lord to those who disobey Him and are they guaranteed salvation then? Jesus himself predicted that in the last generation this very thing would happen. He relays it in Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, there it is again, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Can you do the will of the Father without the Son living in your heart? No. No. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Oh, there was a power behind that. But was it from God? Well, look at verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Well, it couldn't have been from God then. He doesn't even know them. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. So here they are, they're prophesying in His name, they're casting out devils in His name, they're doing many wonderful works in His name, yet He doesn't know them, He says they're working iniquity. If you're going to be able to discern the difference, friends, you have to know Christ. He has to know you. One thing I can say about my study in the last generation is that they are going to be people of the book because they know the Word. They know Jesus. The Bible tells me they follow Him wherever He goes. That they would rather die than sin against Him. That tells me they know Him intimately. So these are people that although they call Jesus Lord they break his law they don't do what he says you know if you consider this when you think about this for a moment you know that there is no nation in the world that does not have laws who thought that up where do the laws come from (laughs) there's no nation that doesn't have any laws Judges in the courts of all countries consider a person to be loyal, a loyal citizen if they keep the laws. God also has laws, doesn't He? And He decides the loyalty of the citizen of His government by the keeping of His law. Look what happened when they didn't keep His law. What has that brought? Oh, Satan promises wonderful things, but all it leads to is death doesn't lead to happiness, does it? Oh, there is pleasure and sin for a season, isn't there? In the final judgment, God's going to ask the same question that worldly judges ask. Have you kept the law? And it's just a fruit. It's a fruit of whether you love Jesus or not. It is estimated, I found this remarkable. It's estimated that there have been over 35 million different human laws made throughout time. God's much more simpler. Do you know that God actually has just one law? It's just divided into 10 parts. It's a perfect law of love. The whole universe, all not just the universe, the all creation can be governed by one law that a child can read and understand. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to be sharing some things with you out of the book, Faith and Works. Because there is a... a Even among God's people, I find that there is some misunderstandings about this. And what the devil tries to do is to separate us into a couple of camps, doesn't he? He he wants us to either be Pharisees or he wants us to be Sadducees. And what we want to do is walk with the Lord. (laughs) That's the balance, right? Faith and works, page 16. Let this point be fully settled in every mind. Let it be settled here, friends. If we accept Christ as a Redeemer, we must accept Him as a ruler. We cannot have the assurance and perfect confiding trust in Christ as our Savior until we acknowledge Him as our King and are obedient to His commandments. Thus we evidence our allegiance to God. It's an evidence that we are a citizen of the kingdom. We obey the laws. But what's the Bible say about the law? Is it grievous? Not to those who what? Love the Lord. Right? There is joy in doing His will, friends. So is Jesus the Lord of your life? Many people today want Jesus to be the Savior of their life, don't they? But they do not want Him to be the Lord of their life. Isaiah 4, one. Oh, we'll wear your clothes, you know, or let us be called by your name. We'll wear our own clothes, we'll eat our own bread. We're going to do our own thing. We just want to be called by your name to take away our reproach. We want you to be our Savior, but you're not going to lord over us. In essence, they're saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Is that what the Jews said? Jesus was here? Let me ask you a question. Is it a bad thing to have Jesus as the Lord of one's life? Some, there are many people who think so. That's where an experience comes into play, doesn't it? Have you actually tasted and seen for yourself? Most people haven't. They go by what they hear. My younger brother, he went by what he heard from other people who were unconverted. Oh, you've got to give up this and this and this. Oh, you don't want to do that. You know, Everything was of a carnal persuasion, a carnal nature. So he didn't think about spiritual things. He was thinking about carnal things. There is a misunderstanding about the true character of God that prejudices the mind against Him. My wife recently, and I think it was when we were staying with the the McGee's. Yeah, it was. She reminded me of a story that Red Skelton told. I don't know if many of you, I don't know, has anybody heard of Red Skelton? Uh, He told a story about one of his teachers. And incidentally, the teacher's name was Mr. Lasswell. <laughs> Only it was spelled with two S's. And they are related down the line. We found it, with you know, it's a different branch somewhere. You know. and, and my mom wrote him a letter uh, just wanting him to send the, the Pledge of Allegiance that he, he does. You know, he talks about. And he, he, sent, he sent her uh, framed that Pledge of Allegiance, and he had a note on there saying, I had a, a principal and teacher by the name of, of Fred Laswell, best teacher I ever had, something like that. And that was a pretty neat surprise. He you go, know, oh, wow. You know, of course, Red Skelton was from Indiana. He's from Vincennes. So. But uh, Deb reminded me, and, and, and he talked about how this teacher, Mr. Laswell, overheard the class saying the Pledge of Allegiance. You remember when she showed you that? And, and, and they were saying it without much enthusiasm. And so he addressed the class, and what he did, he he broke it down, he explained the Pledge of Allegiance to them so that they could understand it, what it stood for, what it meant. It helped the class to gain a, a right understanding of why there even was a pledge. Right? Now, I want to take that example for a moment. You know, we see a lot of people today who broadcast the scripture, John three sixteen. It's like you see it everywhere, right? You see it in different ways. You see it on signs, bumper stickers. Uh, I remember when I used to watch all these sports programs, you had the guy with the rainbow hair all the time, and they'd show him on camera, and he'd hold up John 3.16. Well, the guy was a clown. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, John 3.16. Look at me, I'm a clown. John 3.16. But don't, don't you see it in different places? People display it. I don't think people understand what it means. Mean. I've seen them in haircuts I've seen tattoos yet like Red Skelton's class the true meaning has been lost in translation I think and so I'd like to break John 3.16 down and explain it a bit like Red's teacher Mr. Laswell, did with the pledge because the love of God and His salvation really is a simple thing first off if you look at that John 3.16 has seven parts after you recognize God For God. Is that what it says? For God. It brings us to acknowledge the almighty authority. For God. Then it says, So loved the world. Isn't that the strongest motive known in creation? I can't think of anything stronger than love. So loved the world that He gave unselfish generosity Grace. That's what grace is. God gives it. His only begotten Son, that's the greatest thing He could give. Not only did God give something because He loved the world, He gave the greatest thing He could give. That whosoever, I really have grown to like that word. It's all inclusive, isn't it? Whosoever, the widest welcome that has ever been given believeth in Him. The easiest escape that's ever been given. All you got to do is commit. That's it. Should not perish. There's divine deliverance for us, friends. But have everlasting life. That's a priceless existence. It's really very simple. You put it all together, it looks something like this. The one who has almighty authority, motivated by the strongest motivation, by grace generously gave the greatest gift he could give to grant us the widest welcome and the easiest escape through divine deliverance so that we might have a priceless existence. How can that be lost in translation? It's this subject, grace, that we are admonished to talk about the most. Do you know that? Not doctrines, not prophecy. I'm not saying you're not to do that. But oftentimes, you know one of the problems in the the early Adventist movement that developed was that they began to stress the law too much. And so that the law, because you see it was revealed to them. They came to the knowledge of the Sabbath, which showed, oh, the sanctuary, where the law of God is. And so God was teaching them about His character and law because Jesus moved into the most holy place where it exists, into the throne room of God. But as humans tend to do, we dwell on some things too much. Thus there was counsel that said, we need to remind people that it's by grace <laughs> that you keep the law. I mean, they were having arguments over Galatians and stuff. Well, what law is being talked about? It was Everything was the law. So don't get me wrong. It has a place, for sure. Prophecy definitely has a place. But I want you to notice something from Manuscript Release, Volume 3, <clears throat> page 420. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently. What's that mean? That means more than anything else, right? Or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through what? Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let the subject be made distinct and plain that it is not possible to affect anything in our standing before God or in the gift of God to us through creature merit. In other words, by works. If we're going to inherit eternal life, we need to understand that there is nothing we can ever do to provide any part of the merit to that. It's a gift that comes through grace alone. To the person who believes. And what do we say about believe? That Greek word there that's used there is to commit. One of the greatest deceptions of all time that has permeated all heathen religions and also the Christian world is the idea that we are saved by faith and works. Martin Luther fought this idea during the Reformation. You know how he came to a realization, didn't you? Don't you remember? He's in Rome, climbing up the steps on his bloody knees. And the Holy Spirit whispers, The just shall live by faith. Powerful. The belief that a person is saved by faith and works opens the door for believing that not only your own good works, but also those of others and even the saints give merit to salvation. Why do you think the Catholic Church prays to the saints? Yeah. Let us have spiritual understanding, friends. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. True faith produces good works. However those good works have no merit and have no saving power of themselves it just shows who you are I've used this example so many times I think some people have gotten tired of it but a pear tree doesn't produce pears to prove it's a pear tree it produces pears because it is a pear tree <laughs> right Christian doesn't do good works to prove they're a Christian they produce good works because they are a Christian manuscript releases again continuing on there page 420 should faith and works purchase the gift of salvation for anyone then the creator is under obligation to the creature have you thought it that way here is an opportunity for falsehood to be accepted as truth. if any man can merit salvation by anything he may do, then he is in the same position as the Catholic to do penance for his sins. Salvation then is partly of debt that he may that may be earned as wages. If man cannot by any of his good works merit salvation, then it must be wholly of grace received by man as a sinner because he receives and believes in Jesus. It is wholly a free gift. You know, when you work or you have a job, your employer is obligated to give you the appropriate wages. But a a person cannot, by any of their good works, earn salvation. You can't do it. Grace is not earned. It's a free gift from God through the merits of Christ. Amen? It's his works. You know, Paul wrote about this uh, actually a great deal. Our scripture reading was Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you know what the devil does? He pounds that into some people's head and swings them right over into Sadducees' camp whereas works have nothing to do with your your walk. In fact, he teaches that you can't have any good works whatsoever. Got to be careful. Romans 4 verse 2, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for what? What is righteousness? Right doing. Right works. Righteous works, isn't it? So what was accounted to him? Abraham believed God. The fact that he committed himself to God, all of that just just the belief, the commitment to God, all the works then were accounted to Abraham from Christ. I hope that's the chair. It is. Okay. <laughs> so th- this is the point that Paul that, uh, Paul's trying to make here. What what was the righteousness that was accounted to Abraham? Was it everything that Abraham did? Was it anything that Abraham did as far as merit, meriting anything? No. He made a commitment to God. He believed God. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt, he says in verse 4. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His what is counted for righteousness? His faith. Because it's his faith that produces the good works through the power of the Holy Spirit that's alive, who he trusts. That's what believing means. Trust, commit to. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Paul emphasized this point because of the error being taught in Christ's day that a person was saved by grace but they, they had a work to do first. You see, they had to be circumcised first. Remember that? And then they what happens when they were circumcised? Then they would receive grace. See, salvation is through grace alone. It's a free gift; doesn't come because of anything that you do. Go back to faith and works, page twenty. It—that's salvation—is wholly a free gift. Justification by faith is placed beyond controversy. And all this controversy is ended as soon as the matter is settled that the merits of fallen man in his good works can never procure eternal life for him. Then you go into Hebrews, and that's why Paul's talking about the, the blood of uh, uh, lambs and goats doesn't do anything for you. Because if it did, Christ need not come and die. You see, I think the devil pulls a trick on those who understand that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Like I mentioned before, hundreds of millions of Christians in the world today believe that the church can save you if you're a member or you're baptized right into that particular church. Isn't that right? It's the same in Christ's day. The temple, the temple, the temple. If you're a member of the Catholic Church, You need to be an active participant in the seven sacraments which if observed enable you to receive the grace of God. But to state it bluntly the church is unable to save anyone. And there will be billions of people lost who have been baptized. Billions of people who have partaken of the communion supper will not be in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot save ourselves, friends, and the church cannot save us either. This same deception that's popular today was also popular, like I said in Christ's day. The people believed that they were if they were not connected to Israel, they would not be saved. Even Christ's disciples believed this. That was the tradition. John records an incident when Jesus gave sight to the man who was born blind. I talked about this a few weeks ago. There was a big church trial, and before it was over, because the man confessed Christ, he was disfellowshipped. Read about it in John 9. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, till they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? John 9 verse 20. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But what By what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. So kind of like Pilate, we're washing our hands of this. <laughs> and we're going to be safe. I'm sorry. That's something, a miracle, that you can't keep hidden. Remember when Jesus, he told the guy, now, go back to your home but don't tell anybody. I always thought, right! You're going to have to give me a lot of grace, Lord, because I'm going to tell everybody all the way home. I'm just walking there, they're going to see me. You know? <laughs> yeah, Everybody in town knew this, including his parents. They knew what happened. The news was all over town. So why did his parents lie? Why did they bear false witness? Fear. Fear. I mean, they had to know that telling a a lie was wrong. They had to understand that breaking the commandments, I mean, they're Jews. The law, the law, the law, the law. They had to know that that would keep them out of the kingdom, right? Right? Verse twenty-two. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he—that's Jesus—was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. They were one. They were under one of the most powerful delusions that can happen to a person. They'd been taught that if you were disfellowshipped from the synagogue, you're not going to have eternal life. You're out of the kingdom. Ironically, the very thing that they did do, lie, is what would keep them out of the kingdom of God. (laughs) But they thought, this is the reasoning, they thought, that doesn't matter. As long as I stay in and I had a connection with the church, I'm going to be saved. Well, friends, if they wanted to be saved, they would have not allowed themselves to... They would have allowed themselves to be disfellowshipped and not lie. Now I think this story is important because this has happened millions of times since then. The very thing that people think will assure them of eternal life is the very thing that guarantees their destruction. So we read here, Jesus' own disciples believed this. In of Ages, page 675, I am the true vine. The Jews, uh, she's quoting there, John fifteen one. I am the true vine. The Jews had always regarded the vine as the most noble of plants and a type of all that was powerful, excellent, and fruitful. Israel had been represented as a vine which God had planted in the promised land. The Jews based their hope of salvation on the fact of their connection with Israel. But Jesus says, I am the real vine. Think not that through a connection with Israel you may become partakers of the life of God and inheritors of His promise. Through me alone is spiritual life received. Through me alone. Beloved, are you connected with the true vine? You know, Baptism with water is a symbol and it's important, isn't it? But if you do not have what it represents, the symbol is not going to save you. I've heard people say, you know, when I was baptized, oh, I came out and it was so glorious and I was, you know. I I felt the change. (laughs) The change comes before you are baptized. There's no supernatural thing that happens. When my wife and I were married, there was no supernatural thing that happened between us just when we vowed to each other and before God in front of witnesses all of a sudden we weren't magically one <laughs> you know four legged couple walking down the aisle <laughs> you know what i'm saying the symbol's not going to save you Peter explains what baptism, what baptism actually represents. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 38. Now when they heard this, this is right after Peter's sermon there, Pentecost, remember? When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That's the people who heard it. And said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Just like that jailer. What shall we do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you see, friends, baptism by water is just a representation of baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, even though church will not save you, you are to belong to one. (laughs) That's just part of the organization of God in fulfilling uh, you as a member of the body and fulfilling His mission. 1 Corinthians 12, verses uh, 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many... Are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. All churches is, is God's people come together, organize, covenanting together to do God's will in that area. To put it as simply as I can. Baptism. Water baptism is the door into the church in essence. But water baptism is a symbol that won't save you if you don't have what it represents. You become a member of the body of Christ when the Holy Spirit baptizes you. It's just like a wedding. You can be engaged, but until you have that wedding, right? Is it really it's an official statement to the world that you are married in the eyes of God. Essentially, and that's what baptism is. It's a statement to all the witnesses that you're married to Christ. Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 27, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Who promised? Jesus is faithful, isn't he? He promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more. If you study out uh, what Paul is talking about here in essence as some is, when he says as as the manner of some is, some people at that particular time had gotten uh, to where they were satisfied. They were satisfied that that I'm a follower of God. I don't need to go to church every week. I don't need to, to spend time with my other brethren and stuff because I'm in the Lord. There's no need for any of that. And Paul's reminding them, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's where we... Exhort one another <laughs> And as he says, so much more, as you see the day approaching, do we not see the day approaching? Oh Now, for us, distance plays a good part for many of us, and that's tough to physically come together as often as we probably should. But we have telephones. Some of us have Internet. <laughs> You're distracting me. Those no, is, is your chair loose or something? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what are you doing? Ugh, don't distract the pastor. Yeah. But this is this is the council. You know, there's going to come a time, beloved, when we're not going to have a choice but come together. Is that right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people leave off verse 26. Notice how important this is. Paul says, he, what's he talking about here? Hold fast your profession of your faith without wavering. A part of helping yourself to do that is to not forsake the assembling of yourself together with like believers, but exhort one another so much more, you know, encourage, whatever. And then he, this is the importance of it. He says, for if we sin willfully, see the importance of assembling ourselves together? Paul's saying it's so important because if you don't do it, this is exactly what Satan likes. He likes us to be singled out and separate. He says, For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. And again, kind of the context there was, there were people who were satisfied. Oh yeah, I'm a member of the body of Christ. I don't need to go do any of this and meet with anybody. I can just stay at home. Well eventually that's going to catch up to you. No Where are you going to get your encouragement? what you've just increased the odds that you're going to be distracted somewhere and be pulled and sucked back into the old life or the other side of the road, overzealousness and become a Pharisee. But a Pharisee would go to church every week. <laughs> you know? Huh? Well, yeah, that's what a Pharisee pretty much is, a fanatic. But he says, if you do that, after you've received a knowledge of the truth, and this, this doesn't mean that it's a, a one-time thing. This means a continual attitude of this. There's a danger. You're grieving away the Holy Spirit. He says, then there remaineth no more sacrifice for your sins once you get to that point but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries so you become a member of the local church body that's not forsaking the assembling for that's where Christ is isn't it where two or three are gathered in my name that is his church does God Condone sin? Is Christ going to be where sin is condoned and taught? How can he be? He can't endorse it. A church that is in apostasy has forsaken Christ as their head. Can we agree with that? And one cannot be safe in such a church, no matter if the minister is nice or not. You know, there are many nice ministers in fallen Babylon. I met some very nice men. Pastors. They're wrong. But they're nice. There are even truths that are taught in fallen Babylon. you believe that? But the Lord says what? Come out of her. Be ye separate. I'll even tell you this. There are many baptized people in Babylon that are not full of the Holy Spirit. Becoming a member of the body of Christ means being an active participant in the family of God. Active in supporting the church body by participation in, as Paul was saying there, provoking unto love and good works. Keeping each other lifted up until the, until the Lord comes. Lifting each other up and helping encouraged to seek the Lord and your eyes stayed upon Him so that you can overcome your sins that keeps you out of the Lamb's book of life. Well, friends, membership in the local church doesn't save you, but it can help strengthen you against the attacks of the enemy Mm -hmm. by being around the faithful, showing a united front. Satan loves to have us all separated into these little atoms here and there or staying out on our own. Makes his mission that much more easier to accomplish. The Holy Spirit will lead a person to join with a body of Christ. I know that. Paul met some people you read about in Acts 19 who had been baptized and he asked if they'd received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? And what they say? Well, we were baptized under John's baptism. And then they were told they needed to be baptized again. <laughs> this clearly indicates that baptism is not really valid if you haven't received the Holy Spirit. And there are many who've attended church all their life decide to be rebaptized because they know that the, where they were and what they were doing wasn't preparing them for the kingdom of God. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, the church can't save you. The big question is, are you connected with Jesus? Jesus said, I am the true vine. Isn't that what He said? We read? And there are two things working to connect the branches to the grape vines. I did a little reading on it. The outer connection. I don't know. Has anybody ever raised grapes? First year. You, huh? First year. You just eat them, yeah. What did you say? First year, you you try. Okay, there's an outer connection. They call the lignite in the wood. Uh, Just holds them physically to the vine. That's what the what happens. The outer connection could be. uh, I liken to church membership. When a person is baptized with water and makes profession, they're now a member of the church outwardly, right? An outward connection but if the life sap doesn't flow through the inner part of that vine into the branch what happens it dies but they may still be on the church books right this is described in John 15 the dead branch is a person who is a member of the church professing to be a Christian they profess to be getting ready for Jesus to come and they look like they're connected but the only trouble is what they're not getting any of the sap they're not There's no life in them. When working with grapevines, you learn to trim and tie up the vines. Every dead branch is what? Cut off. Pruned. Notice what Jesus says in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. This is verse 1. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit He purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me ye can do some things. A what? Nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Is the life of Christ coming into your life and is the Holy Spirit working a transformation in your life? Changing the way you think, the way you act? If not, take a step back and look in the mirror. Look at Christ. Look at the cross. Look at your walk. Look at your life. Friends, one of the greatest things I could ever tell you, teach you, is you have to be honest. And not just with God. You've got to be honest with yourself. What is my true condition? And this is where the, the Spirit will lead you this is your true condition. One of the greatest difficulties in in bringing someone to the Lord is breaking down that wall that they need a Savior. Because the vast majority of people in the world are not honest with themselves. And a number that call themselves Christians are definitely not honest with themselves. And when we harbor a sin, we're not honest with ourselves. We're saying I'm okay. That's what reasoning is, right? Well, it's okay. That's what presumption is. God'll forgive me. Because, hey, you know, look at all the good things I do for him. Filthy rags. That's what they are. Do others recognize you as a Christian? Some people go out there with the Bible and stand on the street corner and bam! Every person that walks by. And there are people walking around avoiding that. Yeah, he's a Christian. You know it's true. Is that a real Christian? No. That's the devil's... That's the devil's religion. But do others recognize you as a Christian? This question's for you, not for them. Has a change been seen in you? I've had people tell me, when I was uh, gave my my heart to the Lord years ago, flat out tell me you are a different person. I'm not lifting myself up. I'm just saying that's what I was told. And of course, my response was, "Praise God." Because I know what kind of person I was. Are you changing your old habits of unrighteousness to new righteous ones? That's the, the work of sanctification. Do you love Jesus? That's the ultimate question to answer. Friends, I try every day to ask myself and answer that question. Yes, I love Jesus. If I hesitate... I know I've got a problem. And I go to prayer and I go to the Bible and I get back on track. (laughs) There have been many discussions about creature merit or earning salvation. I need to wrap it up, I think, don't I? Theologians have been arguing these things for hundreds of years. Did you know that? There are complete churches that are raised on just the position that they've taken over this. Ellen Ellen White wrote about these discussions. And I want to share these two because these are very important. Maybe these three. Faith and Works, page 23. Discussions may be entered into by mortals strenuously advocating creature merit and each man striving for the supremacy but they simply do not know that all the time in principle and character they are misrepresenting the truth as it is in Jesus. They are in a fog of bewilderment. <laughs> they need the divine love of God which is represented by gold tried in the fire. They need. What is this? They need the divine love of God. What was John 3.16? What was the strongest motivation? The love of God. They need the white raiment of Christ's pure character, His righteousness. And they need the heavenly eye salve, the Holy Spirit, that they might discern with astonishment the utter, utter worthlessness of creature merit to earn the wages of eternal life. You see what she has said there in that one quote encapsulates that we need the Godhead. We need the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but notice that she what does she call earning salvation, salvation by works, creature merit? she calls it utter worthlessness page twenty four same book The Lord Jesus imparts all the powers, all the grace, all the penitence all the inclination, all the pardon of sins in presenting His righteousness for man to grasp by living faith, which is also the gift of God. I don't know, that word all was used several times there. If you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected as what? Treason! Treason! That's strong. Even the angels would say it was treason against the government of God. To you to say, oh, salvation comes from faith and works. Friends, salvation is not complicated. It's a natural human tendency to want to do something to gain merit though. So that we can be saved, but we can never be saved that way. Faith and Works, page 64. He need not wait until he has made a suitable repentance before he may take hold upon Christ's righteousness. We do not understand the matter of salvation. It is just as simple as A, B, C. But we don't understand it. How can you receive the gift of salvation? Acknowledge Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life. You can say, Lord... I'm choosing to believe in Jesus as the Lord of my life and the sa- my Savior from sin. It's that simple. Jesus stated it in that simple language. Over and over again He stated it that way. The last two quotes, I'll quit right here. I'll leave the rest with you. John 5, verse 24. You know, the Apostle John was probably more than any other apostle quoted Jesus' word on this particular subject. Probably more than any of the others. John 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has some work to do before he can enter into the kingdom of heaven. doesn't say that, does it? Jesus said, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 6.47 Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Friends, that is not complicated. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. It's not complicated. There's a lot for us to be thankful for, friends. There are so many things that go on behind the scenes that, that we're completely unaware of that the Lord handles. Yeah. The angels He sends to surround us and protect us from evil and danger too often go unnoticed by us. And too often we forget to thank the Lord and them for their love and care. All these blessings come from God. All righteous works come from God. God. Salvation is a free gift by grace and we receive it by faith. Do we believe it? Do we trust the simplicity of it? (coughs) A-B-R. Ask, believe, receive. Yeah. As she says, it's just as simple as A-B-C. Ask, believe, as you say, receive. You can't believe it. Jesus said, if you ask, believe that you've received it. Our biggest problem as a people is we just don't believe. Mm -hmm. Well, let's believe today. Shall we? Let's believe today. Forget yesterday and the past. Let's believe today. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for your love for us. That great motivation. Because of that love you gave, <laughs> that love for us, you gave all that you could. The most precious gift so that we can be saved. Father, forgive us that we lose sight of the simplicity of your grace. Strengthen and increase our faith. As the man said, we believe, help thou our unbelief. Lord, we ask humbly for the Holy Spirit to come in our minds and change us so that our faith will indeed be increased. We give You permission. We accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Lord, we trust in Thee. Help us to grow day by day and to share the love that we experience and that we we. Uh, um, have imparted into our hearts with those around us so that when people see us they do see a change. They do see a loving person, a courteous and kind person, someone who uh, uh, um, loves them and esteems them better than themselves. And forgive us our sins, please, Lord. We are striving to be among those who will be saved be among the 144,000 we pray for your grace to 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 do that and we thank you again for hearing our prayer we believe it has been answered in Jesus name amen